0: Welcome to Medicare for All Explained. This podcast will enlighten our listeners and dispel the distortions that surround Medicare for All. Medicare for All Explained is produced in collaboration with Physicians for Our National Health Program and is hosted and produced by Joe Sparks. I'm your host, Joe Sparks. This is episode 26 surprise medical bills my guest, mark krasnov md is an internist in st louis missouri he received his md from john hopkins and teaches students and residents as a member of the clinical faculty for washington university school of medicine and st louis university school of medicine dr krasnov has also held positions as President of the Medical Staff of SSM Rehabilitation Hospital, and as Chair of the Peer Review Committee of St. Mary's Hospital in St. Louis. He has been involved with Physicians for Social Responsibility since 1987 and with Physicians for our National Health Program since 2012. Dr. Mark Kravdnoff, welcome to Medicare for All Explained.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me, Joe.
0: Our topic today is surprise medical bills. So please tell me what surprise medical bills are and why they are a problem. Well, ordinary
1: medical bills are complicated enough, and you could do an entire podcast on that subject. But surprise medical bills are situations in which a patient may have a pretty good understanding of what they think they're going to find in a medical bill, and then they get a surprise something that's completely unexpected, often because something in the bill is coming from an out-of-network provider or entity that they had no idea was going to charge them an excess amount of money above what their insurance company would normally require. And there are several examples of that. A first initial example could be a person who gets taken to the closest emergency room in a serious emergency situation where they really aren't in a position to make any decisions about the economics of their care. They only need their care and they come to a hospital that's closest to them but is not in their insurance network, often the insurance will be forced by state law or other negotiations to pay the normal payment they would make, even though it's an out-of-network emergency room. But that insurance company doesn't necessarily have a contract with that hospital or that emergency room, so the hospital might charge more for the care than they would someone who had a contract with them, and that balance gets stuck with the patient. The patient has to pay that money out of pocket and that's an expensive surprise often. Bills like that can be over five hundred dollars, and that's a major shock for most families in America.
0: So you said that like five hundred dollars is a major shock. I assume you're referring to the statistics that came out that I think it was like forty percent of families would have trouble paying an extra four hundred dollar expense in a month.
1: Yes, and as of 2016, about 40% of bills from hospitals and emergency rooms included a surprise in the bill. So it's a very common problem, and it's a very difficult thing for families to cope with when they get a bill like that. 628 was the average in 2016, which is the last year we have good data for, and that was for an emergency room charge for a hospitalization out-of-network for a surprise bill can be over $2,000 on average in 2016, which is quite an overwhelming uh, fee to have to be faced with when it's completely unexpected. And I've actually had a very close relative experience this. She went to an emergency room, which was within her network, but the emergency room doctor himself, putting aside specialists that might not be contracted, the actual emergency room itself had a doctor, under contract with the hospital, but not under contract with the patient's insurance. And she had to pay over $800 to this doctor for his part of the emergency room care, which is completely shocking considering that the hospital itself and its emergency room were within network.
0: And this is over and above what she was expecting to pay.
1: Right. I don't know the specifics of her charge, but Typically in medical billing, as you know nowadays, there's a copay for an emergency room. It's often quite high, sometimes around $200 because you're using the emergency room. There is a deductible which is part of everybody's insurance contract that they have to pay a certain amount out of pocket before the insurance company kicks in for certain types of care and treatment. And uh, then there may be coinsurance where even the final bill after those considerations is shared with a percentage of the paid coming from the patient.
0: Are there any other stories or any other type of surprise medical bills that you're aware of?
1: Yes. Sometimes it involves a lab. So on NPR about a week or two ago, there was a story about a Kaiser shocking bill of the month. And in that case, it was an extreme example because of the numbers involved. But the type of unexpected surprise bill was very typical. It involved a patient going to her doctor's office for a sore throat, getting a throat swab and some blood work sent off. And when the bill arrived, it was for over twenty-eight thousand dollars total, of which she was supposed to pay a twenty-five hundred dollar deductible. And the insurance is so automated that they were just going to cut a check for twenty-five thousand dollars to pay the patient for her paying me the bill, and they were just going to waive her twenty-five hundred dollar copay without really looking into the situation. And the patient, of course, realized how absurd the whole thing was and complained and brought it to the attention of the physician and threatened to go to the board of the state of New York over it and things like that. And it was just an extreme example of how things can happen that are completely beyond the patient's control. If it were smaller numbers than that uh, particular test that was ordered inappropriately out in the outpatient setting, those smaller numbers might go unnoticed, and they do go unnoticed every day. They're not unnoticed by the patients themselves who get stuck with those surprise bills and have to cope with them. And if you get a surprise bill of um, 500 or 600 or $700, uh, most people, when asked about surprise bills like that, how would they pay for those? They say they would either have to often borrow from family or borrow from friends or go into debt or put it on a credit card and pay it off over time with the interest on the credit card. So it's very hard for patients to deal with these surprises. They're one of the major causes of surprise costs that patients deal with, that people deal with in their life, are these medical bills. And the terrible thing about it is none of it has to happen because if we had a well-organized single-payer national health insurance program, there would be no insurance networks and there would be no bills directly for services at the time of occurrence the bills would happen and they would be paid by the single payer and the patient would never have to deal with all the complexity that we deal with now.
0: So, are there other ways that surprise medical bills can affect people?
1: Well, sometimes you avoid a surprise bill and the cost comes in the form of suffering and delayed health care. For example, I know someone who told the story of he's a retired corporate executive pretty much at the top of the food chain economically in America and a very well-off person well insured and he had kidney stones which are very painful and made arrangements with a urologist to have lithotripsy done where ultrasound is used to break up these stones and the day before the procedure was going to be done that night the doctor called him and said we're going to have to delay the procedure because the facility where you were going to have the lithotripsy doesn't accept your insurance. So the patient didn't get the procedure and the surprise bill. Instead, the patient got a delay in his care. And this can happen quite often, and that's just one example. And in this case, it's a very painful condition, and it could involve real quality of life issues and delayed return to work for people in the workforce. There's all sorts of implications of delayed care aside from the pain and suffering itself, there's also the productivity piece. So it's a real detraction from the whole society when you have this kind of constant complexity in negotiation with networks that goes on in our current healthcare system.
0: Well, also, I mean, as you said, you're increasing the pain and suffering of people. But can this be random? I heard a story from one doctor I interviewed, Dr. Victoria Dooley. She had an asthma patient, and the patient had an inhaler that was working for her. And the insurance company just arbitrarily decided that they were not going to pay for that inhaler anymore.
1: Yes, that's an example in which it's a drug that's involved. And in terms of surprise billing, it would be in the form of a change in the network of which doctors are on the insurance plan under contract and which are not. And those doctors that are under contract can change, from week to week and over time and you might even be in mid-year in the middle of treatment for some condition and the insurance changes the coverage because the patient's doctor is no longer under contract and they will often have to work out some kind of negotiated deal to complete some duration of care until they transfer over to another physician but it's very disruptive of medical care. And often the directories that are posted online and in mailings are not accurate and up-to-date because these networks change so frequently. And a patient may think that they're going to go see a doctor who's in-network only to be told they're not in-network. And they either see them and get a surprise bill or it gets caught before that and they get delayed care. Either way, it's a ridiculous cost to our population that we have such a complicated system that you can't just make an appointment with a doctor that you want to go see get the care you need, and get it taken care of. And a single-payer national health care system would solve that problem completely. There would be no networks and there would be no bills, so there would be no surprises.
0: Well, you bring up a point that I would like to emphasize, and one of the talking points that opponents bring up against Medicare for All is, oh, you won't have a choice. But what they forget is Most people who have employer-sponsored insurance really have no choice. Their employer picks the plan, and then, as we just said, even if you're in a plan, things can change arbitrarily. And so one of the advantages, as you mentioned, is that Medicare for All actually provides more choice because you can pick your doctor or hospital and not have to worry about it. And as you said, you don't have to worry about care changing and i think that's an important point that people don't realize would you agree with that
1: absolutely people talk about the need for choice and competition because they want good free market competition to create the best care but insurance companies don't really play a role in that their goal is to have the maximum difference between what people pay for their care which is their premiums and deductibles and copays and and, and mainly for the insurance companies the premiums and the cost of care that the insurance company itself pays out for the care, that's their financial incentive and their goal. They don't get rewarded for controlling health care costs, and they've never historically been able to control costs. What people really want when they want competition and choice is doctors and hospitals competing to do the best job. And they can do that under a single-payer system where people can choose which doctor and hospital they go to with no limits or restrictions in terms of networks because everybody would be on the same network. Uh, back in traditional Medicare days when everybody was on one kind of Medicare, there was only one Medicare and nobody complained from 1965 to 2000 that I'm aware of that they were stuck with one insurance company. They were just glad they had insurance that covered their medical bills and it's a much smoother way of getting the care and not having to worry about all these issues of network. And still today, patients who have, uh, traditional Medicare typically don't have a lot of these hassles with networks and restrictions on which doctors they can see, as most doctors in America, the vast majority, take Medicare.
0: And one other point about that, I've talked to some doctors who recommend getting supplemental Medicare or Medigap because you can choose any doctor. And one of the concerns is that on Medicare Advantage, you do have restrictive networks. So, for example, if you go out of town, you may have trouble finding a doctor. And what people don't realize is once you are on Medicare Advantage, it can be hard to get back into traditional Medicare because some of the Medigap plans may not have to accept you. And that's also an important point. That's an aside from what we're talking about, but I don't think people realize that.
1: Right. And and those of us advocating for so many years for single-payer national health insurance, Medicare for All, really are not talking about Medicare as it is for all. We're talking about improved Medicare for All, where we eliminate co-pays, deductibles, co-insurance, all out-of-pocket direct expenses from patients. And the care is all covered under a reasonable, rational system of payment that is fair and transparent. And the people of the country can judge for themselves whether the reimbursement going out for medical care is appropriate for certain types of care or not. The alternative that's being touted is something called the public option, where you keep all of the problems with our current system, the networks, the surprise bills, the balance billing, the situation where you get your care delayed because you happen to end up out of network. None of that is solved by having a public option. But all of it is solved by having Medicare for All, the real thing single payer national health insurance, which is what was envisioned even before Medicare by people like Harry Truman and even Theodore Roosevelt.
0: And one of the things, too, and I'm sure you've experienced this under Medicare for All, doctors wouldn't have to spend their time fighting insurance companies to get the care that their patients need.
1: Right, doctors quite often now have to do the same job two or three times in order to get the patient the care they need. You may place an order for a medication like COVID that used to be a generic, very cheap, easy to pay for. And now instead there are two brand names and if you pick the wrong one, the pharmacy won't automatically substitute. There's phone calls back and forth. There's a much higher cost than there was for the old generic. And there's no real justification for it. And we're talking about a medication in the case of cold-titting, with gout, which is a really painful condition. And if you're disabled for an extra couple of days from pain of gout, because it took an extra day or two to get the payment for the medication sorted out, you're really costing everybody something, the patient and their employer and everybody, because it just takes time to get better from an attack of gout. And if you can't get the medicine you need, it's going to take longer.
0: Well, yes. Often overlooked, is the pain and suffering that's caused by our system, not to mention the unnecessary deaths. Is there anything that you would like to add before we end? I guess the main thing I would like
1: to point out that would be helpful in a new type of Medicare for All, where we have improved Medicare for All, as envisioned and and explained by people who are talking about the real thing, is that it involves this degree of transparency, which eliminates so much waste and inefficiency. Uh, when everything's transparent and everything's above board and on the table, uh, it becomes much more fair and much more desirable. People talk about wanting a tax system that's straightforward and simpler, and there's nothing better for health care than having a simple system of payment so that the real activity in healthcare has to do with, figuring out how to provide the best care for the best price. And having that transparency also improves quality because uh, the best way to address wasteful medical care and unnecessary tests and procedures is for it to be all out in the open. And Medicare can collect the data and let doctors who are outliers know, last year you ordered 25% more MRIs than your colleagues under the same circumstances and they didn't show anything abnormal that led to a treatment that made a difference. So you're using excess resources and you need to change your practice. Those are the kinds of benefits that can come from a really transparent single-payer system that eliminates the complexity of the payment model and instead focuses on the care itself.
0: Well, I would second that. Dr. Mark Krasnoff, thank you so much for being on Medicare for All Explained.
1: Thank you very much, Joe. It's close to my heart, and I really enjoy talking with you.
0: You have been listening to Medicare for All Explained. Information about this podcast can be found at our website, medicareforallexplained.org. The music for this show is Super Bubbly by Jesse Spillane. The logo was created by Lily Sparks. Thank you for listening.